Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello and welcome to Have You Seen, the podcast that reviews TV programmes and makes sure you never waste your time on shows that aren't worth the bother because we've waded through them instead on your behalf. It's positively philanthropic, really, what we do, isn't it, Peter? I feel it's public service, like the BBC (laughs) is public service broadcasting. This is public service podcasting. We're trying to make life easier for our listeners because we all agree there is so much out there. Having said that... I also find I'm spending more time than I ought to watching what you might call guilty viewing television, which is not the programmes we're going to discuss here, but things I just sort of quietly watch on the side. And I just thought I should get that out there and say I'd do a bit of that as well. Well, I mean, what what are you admitting to? Some terrible pornography habit or something? No, (laughs) no. But I mean, so this week... I've been watching a bit of the documentary series about the Wagatha Christie trial. Now, why have I been watching this? I didn't even follow it in the press. I'm not interested in football or people who are married to footballers. I'm not really sure that if Colleen Rooney, is that what she's called? Yeah, well done. And the other one, Rebecca Vardy, approached me in the street, I'd know which one was which. Well, I would now because I've been watching the series. So what is it about? Is it like the Beckhams documentary from a few weeks ago? Again, I'm not terribly interested in football, and yet I find myself cheerfully like fast food or something, wolfing down the Beckhams documentary. Well, I'm very glad you Should I feel guilty about it? Maybe that isn't guilty viewing. Maybe that's good television viewing. Well, thank you very much for sharing that with us. I think that you may just be falling into the demographic identified by our guest of last week, Richard Curtis, when he said that basically all he does is watch television these days. And I'm starting to wonder if that's the case with you as well, which does, of course, make you supremely qualified to be hosting this podcast. So without further ado, as they say in show business, shall we get on with the show? In today's episode, we're going to be talking about the new series of The Gilded Age, Julian Fellow's soapy American period drama, which arrives on Sky next week. We'll be hearing Morgan Freeman's dulcet tones as he narrates Netflix's latest natural history offering, Life on Our Planet. And ITV's new musical talent search show, Mamma Mia, I Have a Dream, or as I like to call it, Mamma Mia, I Have a Dream. Oh my goodness, you're just showing off now. I can't sing. And now you've shown me up. So that'll be the last bit of singing on the programme today. Unless, unless, 
it comes from our brilliant guest. Because this week, we're delighted to be joined by the fabulous Rachel Paris. Uh, Put aside for a moment the fact that Rachel is an award-winning comedian, writer and actor. She's also the star of the Regency improv group Ostentatious, which is very relevant because she knows all about period work. She's also a brilliant songwriter and musician, which I'm sure will allow her to offer us an expert's eye on all things Mamma Mia. Now, obviously, this link would work perfectly if she also happened to be a paleontologist, but that frankly feels just a little bit too much to ask. So without further ado, Rachel, we're thrilled to have you with us, despite your lack of knowledge about dinosaurs. Thank you very much for being here. Is it a career choice you ever considered? Not until today, but perhaps (laughs) this is is really the start of something. Well, it's never too late to retrain, if you think about it. And it turned, we are learning more things about dinosaurs with every Netflix series that is broadcast on the subject. And that is quite a lot. And we'll, we'll come to them and talk about that in a minute. And a lot more about ABBA, frankly, with every new manifestation. So we'll talk about that in a few minutes as well. Uh, but first up, the second series of The Gilded Age, the latest period piece from Julian Fellows, he of Downton Abbey and Gosford Park fame. For any Downton fans who are new to The Gilded Age, the action is transported from bucolic Yorkshire countryside to the Upper East Side of Manhattan. It's the story of new money versus old in 1890s New York and all the jockeying for position in society that goes with it. New York is where society puts itself on display. The leaders meet each other and their children court each other. The old guard think they can keep out the new people with impunity, but nothing stays the same forever. Change came from the American Revolution, but it was difficult to live through all the same. I know we only hear from her briefly at the end there, but I have to say I do really love Christine Baranski in this show. Peter, (laughs) why don't we start with your thoughts on The Gilded Age? Because what I realised, and I must fess this up now, is that I absolutely loved the first series. I watched about, I thought I'd watched the whole thing. But it turns out, <laughs> I realise now, having watched the first episode of the second series, that I didn't finish the last one. And so I'll have to go back and check them out. But it was my guilty pleasure. I used to just slide into bed, uh, slip on the Gilded Age and just go, ah, that is a nice warm bath. <laughs> well, it's definitely in the warm bath category, isn't it? And I suppose it is, you know, I think its it, its origins are as being an American equivalent of Downton Abbey created by Julian Fellows. Now, I did commission Downton Abbey when I was at ITV, so I feel I know kind of my way round the period drama, you know, gorgeous costumes thing. And and I think when the Gilded Age first started, I had a feeling of, well, it's easy for us to relate to the big country house in England and the upstairs, downstairs of the servants and all that kind of stuff. But 1890s New York, this so-called Gilded Age of Edith Wharton novels, is a slightly bit of a a leap for us. But as time goes by, he's so clever, Julian Fellows, he draws you into, you know, I think it's reasonable to say a soapy world. He wouldn't mind calling it a soapy world. He was a huge fan of Coronation Street and, and all the great soap operas. And he draws characters very cleverly. They've all got their little stories. They've all got their journeys, their challenges and so on. And yeah, you get hooked on it. Were you a fan, Rachel? So I never watched The Gilded Age until you guys suggested it for this. And then I watched it and I loved it. 
it's re- it's right up my street. One of those things that I thought, why didn't I watch this before? Because it ticks a lot of boxes for me. I love any period drama, any historical drama. It's like you were saying, Peter, I think there are certainly from from British TV and the the majority of period dramas are sort of British set, British periods of history. And this sort of turn of the century in America is a period I didn't know as much about. So even though, you know, I'm not treating it like a documentary, like you say, it is soapy, but I really enjoyed finding out little bits about it, about the the social tugging and ups and downs and yeah, and the the beautiful shots, you know, the really, really long camera pans sweeping shots across the street and across all the massive interiors and the costume. Crucially, you need like fantastic writing, fantastic acting. But TV can do a lot with costume and camera shots. It's part of what drew me into Game of Thrones. Like in a way, it's a different, of course, it's a different genre, but really opulent historical dramas and really opulent fantasy dramas share this like incredibly vivid, colourful, costume-led world that I'm, I'm up for it. I'm- for me, the real attraction of The Gilded Age was that it did transport me to another world, again, like you, that I, I knew very little about. And it feels like we're sort of watching America go through the Industrial Revolution and the building of New York and the idea that that's what that, that city that you visit now and it's so urban and yeah. th- that it once looked like that with its beautiful avenues. I mean, obviously, we're not seeing the streets that don't look like that. I'm struck by the difference between Downton Abbey and this, that Downton Abbey was very carefully balanced between upstairs and downstairs. He absolutely made the servants downstairs as rounded and three-dimensional as the rich folk upstairs. You couldn't really say that at the Gilded Age. We do have the butler and the servants, but they're not given the same amount of screen time. This is about the rich families with their unbelievable costumes, the dresses that look as if they've just been made in every scene, which is lovely. But we're invited to love that without having a vaguely guilty feeling that we're not also dealing with people who can't make ends meet. Yeah, but I still think it's a wealth orgy. Anyway, that, to be honest, I don't really care about that. I just care about the fact that it's not uh, Britain, uh, that it is America, that it's about this period of history that I don't know very much about. And I feel, you know, minusculely better informed about it. But mostly, I think it's about the characters. Uh, There's so much great acting um, in this programme, I think. Mm, So nice to see Cynthia Nixon really making a choice with that character so because I think all of us know her so well as Miranda from Sex and the City who's this really kick-ass yeah. you know hard-working lawyer takes no shit from anyone like she's really her and she changed her voice for this role you know she's changed her voice her body language her facial which like, is also aged I realize up. the actors act which yeah which she's you aged never up. See female it's such a big do. choice yeah. I think to change your tone of voice She's made it like, even though she's older, she's made it childlike, which is, I think, a really interesting thing to do. You don't see actors doing that very often, I think. Rachel, you have your brilliant show, Ostentatious, which is all about the world of Jane Austen. Would Jane Austen recognise the Gilded Age? Well, what people at the time praised Jane Austen for, the reason they liked her novels, is that they said she was writing about ordinary life. So a lot of the novels at the time that were being written, the novel was obviously quite a new thing in itself, they were sensational stories. Yeah, melodrama. Like Udolfo, yeah, yeah. The melodramas. And actually the thing that she was praised for was actually how ordinary 
relatively ordinary the stories were that she was writing about people just living in they were well-to-do people though weren't they they were they were fairly well-to-do yeah they weren't the upper class but they were sort of the comfortable middle class hence there is a need to marry well they a need to marry up actually with most of them she certainly liked a bit of gossip the letters she wrote were very catty brilliantly sarcastic so she might have enjoyed you know I also think, just going back to the sort of uh, Jane Austen um, element of it, that uh, Louisa Jacobson playing Marion Brooke, she's a very sort of Austen-esque character in a way because she's determined to plough her own furrow. She she wants to lead an independent life. She's not doing what she's told by either of her aunts, you know, who she relies on for funding. I think in many ways she's a really Austen-esque heroine. Yeah, I think a lot of the women share, well, what they share with the Austen era and with the stories of Austin is that it's about women finding their power within the rules of society. So no, they couldn't enter business. They couldn't start a business. They didn't have that independence of finance to do that. But within the rules they had, things like where you sit at the opera, that matters. It matters for your family. It matters for you. Who you marry is your power. So it's not necessarily always a romantic thing. It's about how do you form your life through the rules that society has given you? And the Gilded Age is so much about that. Whether you're the, like, yes, the Miss Brooke rebelling against the older generation who are so snobbish or whether you are the aging spinsters who because there are those characters in Jane Austen as well the older generation being very snobby Lady Catherine de Bourgh Mm. and everything I think that I think there's a lot of similarities there well you know Jane Austen much better than I do Rachel I'm sure am I right in thinking the characters in Jane Austen tend to have a reasonable amount of money they live in nice houses in the country the sort we might dream of today you very rarely hear how they make their money or how the money was made maybe by the ancestors or a generation or two back. Whereas here, we absolutely do. Uh, she doesn't talk about money as much as, well, no writers were no. really. because It's rude. Boring, but like, <laughs> she's focusing on the women and the women were not involved in finance. However, persuasion, the opening of persuasion is riddled with talk about money, about the family finances and why they're in the financial situation that they're in, which is dire. So no, they're not all rich. And also, obviously in Pride and Prejudice, they talk about the incomes of the men and they just they ride off to do their business in London town we follow the women but actually there is a lot of talk and in Pride and Prejudice the entailment from generation to generation which is all to do with finance it's funny you mentioned the entailment because a word that you know I'm guessing some of our listeners might not be familiar with very first episode of Downton Abbey had a lot of stuff about the entail, which was how the money was, oh, God, Rachel, you'll know, passed down to the next generation. And, and there were lots of scenes of uh, Hugh Bonneville and Elizabeth McGovern striding around saying, I'm very worried about this entail. It's not going to work or something. I can't remember. And so I'm, it's before I'd even commissioned it. So I'm discussing this with Julian Fellows. And I say to him, Julian, it's a wonderful script. We want to do this. But ITV viewers, they won't know anything about entails. Can you get rid of all this stuff about the entail? And Julian Fellows basically says to me, no, no, that's all part of it. It's very important. <laughs> and you see who won that battle because it's, it's all in it. So Julian Fellows, he st- stood his ground and said, no, I'm going to put stuff about the entail in. And of course, it was an immediate and enormous hit on ITV. And I suppose what that shows is if you understand a world and reveal it on screen and write about it with confidence, then the fact that it's a world that the viewers, it's so remote to them. They, you know, they don't know anything about being Lord and Lady Grantham. They don't know anything about being in the Gilded Age in New York. It's a hundred years ago or more. But if you, you can actually 
draw viewers into that world if you if you know what you're doing and you write with confidence and you understand it. And Julian Fellows, you know, he's kind of the world expert on it. If, if anybody knows about it, he does. Yeah. The only influence I had on Downton Abbey is that at one point in the conversations about it, I said to him, where is Downton Abbey? Where is it in the country? And he basically said to me, where do you want it to be? So I said, <laughs> well, because the ITV audience, they love Coronation Street, they love Emmerdale and so on, can it be in the north? So he said, all right, I'll put it in Yorkshire. So if you watch Downton Abbey, you'll get occasional uh, references to going shopping in Ripon or taking the train from Leeds. This is entirely because of this conversation. And I always think it's the least convincing thing about it, to be a perfect honest, because Highclere Castle is near Newbury. So if you know where that is, you know it's near Newbury. And it feels the least northern series ever made. But actually, it is set in Yorkshire. So are we recommending people to watch The Gilded Age? I think we are. I, I would. I would. I mean, I, it's right up my street, so I was always bound to like it. But yeah, I think, I, think it's, I think it was really good. And you need to go back and watch a few episodes of the series one that you haven't seen, Mariella, Yeah, I, I do, but, I'm, but I, yeah, I don't know. Well, I mean, now I'm just going to have an, a Gilded Age orgy, basically, for the next couple of months as the, as the days <laughs> get shorter and the nights get longer. I know what I'm going to there be doing. There are no orgies in the Gilded Age. I feel I need to point that out to the listeners. <laughs> it's not that sort of a show. Well, now you've just frightened off a whole load of listeners who were thinking, who, yay, who, I'm going to get an orgy. So the new series of The Gilded Age starts on October the 30th on Sky Atlantic. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Netflix have made their biggest move yet. Uh, into the natural history space, parking their tanks, you might say, on David Attenborough's lawn with their new eight-part series, Life on Our Planet. It's narrated by none other than Morgan Freeman, uh, the voice of God, literally. It combines CGI and live-action filming and aims to chart the ongoing rise and fall of all living things on Earth. This is the story of the great battles of survival and the dynasties 
that would take over the world. That's some Freeman narration of the very highest order for you there in that clip. But of course, he could also use a slightly different line to describe the story of this series, Life Finds a Way, which would have been particularly apposite as the executive producer is none other than the creator of Jurassic Park, Steven Spielberg. It also launches at almost exactly the same time as Planet Earth 3, which is the David Attenborough original that we're all familiar with and I'm sure we've all seen previous Planet Earths. Uh, so it's a crowded, competitive market. This is Netflix wanting to make a big and I'm sure very expensive splash in it. Rachel, what did you think? Um, I'm not sure about it. Uh, I think that... It's, there are bits of it that are really exciting to see. I think seeing the extraordinarily technologically advanced rendering of things that we've never seen before. Dinosaurs we didn't know, we haven't seen in that way. Saber-toothed tigers. Saber-toothed tigers, the, the bird that looks like a... The, the, new, the, the ones we haven't seen in Jurassic Park, basically. And we saw a lot of the, you know, under-the-sea creatures as well. Uh, I think that it holds you for a while... But I was surprised because actually I was so excited by the trailer. When I came to watch the series, I found that it it was so lacking in the dynamism that you get from real life. That's why Planet Earth is so good. Have you seen, Rachel or Mariel, have you seen Planet Earth 3, which is just... I haven't yet. Begun. Obviously, I've seen the others. Yeah, yeah I, I've one. seen one episode of it oh. and I totally agree with Rachel. I mean, there were so many things that bugged me about this. I felt like it was Planet Earth light, sort of. Um, I felt like... The fact that these were CGI created images, no matter how brilliant, that actually that detracted uh, from it for me rather than enhanced it. And I took real exception. I suddenly got all feminist about it. And I thought, why do I have, why are these always narrated by voices of God? I mean, David Attenborough might as well be God. Uh, and Morgan Freeman has obviously played God. And it's, it's these men with these sonorous voices telling us about how the world is. And I suddenly thought, why doesn't someone just, you know, throw this up in the air and mess it up a bit? Because I'm sick why and tired. Why someone book you, Mariella? This is, <laughs> this is my point. But the point is that it could be any number of people and it could be presented in a, in a different way. What they've done is they've taken exactly the sort of recipe for the Attenborough programmes. They've taken all the spirit and life and engagement and, and I think campaigning as well out of them. They sort of give a nod to, you know, great extinctions. They give a, they give a nod. Well, they cover a nod. I mean, they, they sort of cover 100 million years in a sentence. You know, they say for 100 million years, you know, so-and-so ruled the earth and then they're galloping through history at an unbelievable pace. I, I did wonder afterwards, is it because they're going to get to a place where it suddenly all comes to life and it's going to stop looking so fake? But I, I just felt that, you know, it was it was very calculated. It didn't have the natural charm of, of, of the programmes that it's trying to emulate. And getting Morgan Freeman to be that voiceover is such a false equivalence. It feels like they went, well, David Attenborough is a wise sounding old man and Morgan Freeman is a wise sounding old man. It's like, no, David Attenborough is David Attenborough. Like because of his career, he doesn't do it because he's an old man who sounds like an old, he does it because he's David Attenborough because yeah. of what he's done. But Morgan Freeman hasn't spent his life following this. But also they inevitably, because it's the nature of Morgan Freeman's voice and the kind of godlike quality is that he's talking in certainties about 
what must be speculation? Because mm. what have we got as evidence? We've got a few old bones or whatever. And suddenly we're talking about the, you know, the fact that this particular kind of saber-toothed tiger, you, you know, was beaten by this weird flying bird or whatever. And you think, yeah, but we haven't actually got photographic evidence. And, and where is the science that backs it up? To be honest, the dinosaurs, to my eye, look pretty much they, like they did in Jurassic Park, which was made 30, 35 years ago. We obviously don't really know what dinosaurs look like in detail. It's almost as if the CGI of this series is based on the CGI of the previous series, which is based on something that started back in the early days of dinosaur films. And I, they still don't look quite real to me. I read a really interesting article about the original Jurassic Park films and the new Jurassic World films mm. and why, even though the technology has gone from animatronics to incredibly advanced, the most advanced CGI, the CGI ones don't hold you. The dinosaurs don't hold you in the way that the animatronic ones did. And they said that actually there's a reason that films where they were recreating visuals in that way actually got worse because there is something about animatronics once they got like to really good animatronics like they had in Jurassic the mm. original Jurassic Parks that even though they're not real they hold you more than the advanced CGI does there's something about your human eye recognizes what is actual real movement they, that is they happening. feel more authentic in a way two of the people behind it are Alistair Fothergill and Keith Scully who used to work for the BBC history unit and made planet earth frozen planet blue planet all those shows and they've gone over to the sort of other side by working for Netflix the dark side I, well I wouldn't say it's the dark side but I remember having a conversation with Alistair Fothergill and saying something along the lines of is there anything left to film out there? Because, you know, there'd already been, this is 15 years ago, there'd already been lots of great series of natural history. And he said, oh my God, yes, there's animals we haven't yet filmed, there's parts of the world we haven't yet got cameras to. He said something like, I could spend the rest of my life filming natural history series and we wouldn't run out of new sequences. So, Well, I, I wish he had. I wish he had, exactly. <laughs> I find myself thinking, I would rather see the real world, the real natural world, called the natural world for a good reason, and continue watching it, than however well-informed and technically brilliantly recreated kind of extinct animals from millions of years ago are, because you could just never quite put it out of your mind. Yeah, but this isn't real. They yeah. didn't. Ex they they may not have even looked like this, let alone behave like this. And you sort of think, oh well, you've said so. It must be true because Morgan Freeman just said it. Yeah, he says it in a voice and you know he's... Exactly. I'll be recommending it to our listeners. I, I can't quite answer this, personally answer that question without saying, if I had to choose between life on our planet and planet Earth 3, which would I watch? Well, I'd watch planet Earth 3 because Definitely it's real. Definitely planet Earth 3. 100%. And it's David Attenborough. It's not just to do with the voice because he's got a great voice. Morgan Freeman's got a wonderful voice. You've got a wonderful voice, Mariella. It's also much. to do with the expertise. It, frankly, if it's an actor, it's an actor. You know, and Morgan Freeman's an actor. Yeah. But yeah. David Attenborough, he knows his stuff. It's sort of the equivalent of what we're saying about this series, isn't it? That you can you can get someone to say the words, you can get CGI yes. to make it look like that, but it's it's actually the authenticity, authenticity. the real you stuff. The and, and that maybe is what Life on Our Planet lacks. So all episodes of Life on Our Planet are available on Netflix now. Let's move on to our third series, which I think you're going to introduce, Mariella. 
Do I have to wait for you to introduce that I'm going to introduce it? <laughs> do you want me to introduce Peter? Yes, would you? Yeah, and then I'll introduce you again and then sum it up again, why don't we? While we're, while we're here. Oh, dear. My family would be laughing at this because they just say I commentate my way through life and say things like, I think it's time to put some salt on the dish. This dish, where's the salt? Oh, thank you for the salt. I've just put the salt on. That, that apparently well, is me and I apologise for it. We're just here to fill the space that your family has left for this brief period once a week. Um, and here to fill the last space in our show today is Mamma Mia, I Have a Dream, which is ITV's latest talent competition. And as you probably worked out, this one's got an ABBA theme. The idea, Zoe Ball and some celeb judges preside over a search to find two future musical theatre stars to play the roles of Sophie and Skye in the Mamma Mia musical. You're going to be singing and dancing all over the island. Mama, how can I resist? One minute while I just pick my jaw up. Who will become the next Sophie and Sky in the West End? We can talk about the show in a sec, but as you heard there, one of the judges is Alan Carr, who I thought was a bit of an incongruous addition there. I mean, he's a brilliant comedian, huge respect for him. Um, but I did find myself wondering just quite how he landed in this singing and dancing competition. Mm. If I may interrupt for a minute, it is a truth universally acknowledged. You cannot have a conversation about any ABBA-related television programme or venture generally without having a quick conversation, which we have to share what our favourite ABBA song is. So I'd like, Ooh. Rachel, I want to start with you. What's your favourite? I really love SOS. I think very, SOS is an absolute banger. Or, or the name of the game. I say the name of the game. Name of the game. Mariella? Well, I think it's very hard to pick just one. You know, that's I mean, why, that's I, why I'm I went, setting you this test. I worked. I worked <laughs> for um, a mobile recording studio that belonged to the Rolling Stones back in the 1980s, and we recorded ABBA's concerts at Wembley. You know, when they were wearing the jumpsuit, the, all the hits. Oh, wow. It was astonishing. And of course, because I was working for a kind of rock and roll mobile recording studio, totally disparaged ABBA. But I did also. I'm old enough to have watched when they won. The Eurovision with Waterloo and the excitement. They were so fresh and weird and unexpected Swedish. and Swedish, yes. exotic. Um, but anyway, favourite ABBA song? Well, for romantic reasons, I would say Take a Chance on Me. But actually, a Fernando, I've got a big soft spot for mm. Fernando. Fernando has the only mistake in English Did in all ABBA lyrics. Did you know that? No, what is it? We're older now, Fernando, since many years I haven't seen a rifle in your hand. Because they're Swedish. It's just bad grammar. No, no, but they speak perfect English. But obviously that should be for many years I haven't seen a rifle in your hand. Or it's many years since I saw a rifle in your hand. It's the only mistake in English in all of ever. Oh, thank God you're here to point those things out. <laughs> Life and, would and be also, so less rich without <laughs> <laughs> Peter the Pedant. I think my problem with this program uh, is that... So you haven't asked I, me what my favourite ABBA song is, and that's... Oh, that's God, sorry. What's your favourite ABBA song? Well, it's a very obscure song in some ways. It's The Day Before You Came. Do you know that song? Oh, I don't know if I do oh, know well, that song. Okay. When we've done with this podcast, go, go on, on. Sing, oh, sing a bit of it, it for us, Peter, and we'll see if we remember um, it or not. Is God, I'm not going to sing it to you. <laughs> Now that we've established our favourite songs, um, I, I'm not sure how many, well, I suppose all of them will probably appear in Mamma Mia, um, the latest manifestation. I feel like I'm watching a non-stop 
ABBA ad and I'm sick of it now. And I, and I feel really sad that I've got to that point because I, I went to see Mamma Mia. I loved it. I even liked ABBA the movie. What did you think, Rachel? Do you like Mamma Mia? I have a dream. Yeah, for context, I haven't seen Mamma Mia the musical. I am a fan of the ABBA songs. I'm a huge fan of musical theatre and I'm a fan of reality shows and talent shows in the right circumstances. I'll tell you what is my real bugbear the last, I would say, seven or eight years of reality shows. And this was the one of the worst cases for it I've ever seen, is that these shows used to be, you'd meet the contestants briefly, then they'd have to do their talent and they'd be judging and there'd be a lot of singing and that was the whole point mm-hmm. of the show. And the amount of airtime given to them screaming in joy at their environment, at meeting each other. They screamed when they saw Zoe Ball. They screamed when they saw Samantha Barks. They screamed when they saw Alan Carr. They screamed when they saw where they were going to be living. They screamed when they saw the swimming pool. The producers making them go, I just can't believe what a surreal dream it is to be here. Ah, I can't believe I'm meeting you all. Ah, I can't believe I'm seeing Alan Carr. I can't believe, I can't believe... Oh my God, I'm like, get on with the singing. It, it's so annoying. And it's such an American trend for reality shows that is now caught on in Britain. And it's such a waste of time. So I fast forwarded through all the screaming to just watch the actual singing routines, which I really enjoyed watching. Mm. But there's so much fluff and getting the contestants to uh, rave and scream about how excited they are that I just, oh, it really annoys me. I tell you one thing I worry about it, although I I want to say I enjoyed it because I love ABBA and I love this genre, is I wonder if the talent is almost too good. You don't, you, they... Well, they're all professional. I think you're right. That was one of the things that bothered exactly, me about it. Was, exactly. I thought these are all yeah. sort of Where are the ones professional who can't sing people at all? who want to be in musical yeah. theatre. And, and that's sort of, in a way, it's a different show. It's not a talent contest then, really. I don't know how they're even going to judge this, to be honest. It's like, you were quite, you know, you were good and you were good and you were good and you were good. I agree. Uh, Mariella, you know, I'm going to shock you now. I do agree with you. I, I also feel that... This is a sort of comment on the age that we're in now. The age of the mean judge has gone. The Simon Cowell who says, you're rubbish. And that's because we're in a kinder age that doesn't want to do that. But in this show, the judges are too nice. I mean, I'm waiting for a moment where I go, oh, my God, I can't believe what that judge, judge, judge just said. But isn't said. that because the contestants are too good? Well, the uh, contestants, to your point, yeah, they're, 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 not all, they're not all perfect, and I'm sure they all they're need fine. work. But there is a very, very, you could only call it a supportive environment around them. They're not there quaking with fear that they're going to be put down with a one-liner from the Simon Cowell equivalent because I don't think it's going to happen. I think you were asking the question, why is Alan Carr there? Well, he's just there to add even more warmth and loveliness and he's funny and the other the other judges aren't funny. So you've booked Alan Carr to be the funny guy. And, and it's, I mean, it's good and it's really watchable, but it's, I don't think it's got a lot of edge or drama to it yet. Yeah, I don't mind yeah, that's true. There's no threat, is there? There's no... Jeopardy. There's no up and down. Yeah, there's no jeopardy. There was a, a rash of these 10 or 15 years ago. How do you solve a problem like Maria, which uh, was for, for the sound of music? I'd do anything. Yep. Uh, I auditioned I, for I'd do anything. Did you, Rachel? Yeah. Good Lord. I went well, how far did you get? Not very far. Oh, God. Sing us one of the, what, what did you sing? Sing us a song from Oliver. I'd I love did, to hear. I do, they, they got you to sing... I'd do anything. What's your favourite song from Oliver? Um, as long as he needs me. <laughs> yeah, 
Peter, you're in, I'm sure. I'd give you the job. <laughs> Nancy, you'd make the perfect Nancy. Come on, Rachel, we, love, we want to see your Nancy. Did you get to the live shows? Did you no. Get to, no. I didn't get very far at all. I got to like second minor Bastards. judge that wasn't a TV judge and I was totally wrong for it and didn't do very well. But I wanted it. I'd have loved to have done it. A difference between those shows is that they created productions on the back of the TV show. Mamma Mia is coming quite late to this. The show's been running for about 15 or 20 years and they're recasting two parts. And I do think that's a slightly, that's less at stake. It's a lesser thing. And I think, I also think that they, yeah. I feel like they've milked it to within an inch of its existence. You know, it's like how much more can you pull this band out into a million different versions, a million different ways of getting us to still go and see them. Just why? Stop. Like, somebody else come along, for heaven's sakes. There's just a limit. And I feel, I, I just feel now that I'm, I'm I'm sort of being cynically milked for the last vestiges of affection I had for ABBA. But I wonder if you'd feel that if you'd never seen any of those other shows, but you were an ABBA fan and a fan of reality TV shows, you might love this. Because it what takes do you mean you... if I'd never seen any of the other Abba no, 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 no. If you'd never seen any of the other I'd have talent... to be a Martian. Well, no, no, no. But I'm saying if we a younger viewer who's who's experiencing this for the first time, you've still it takes you to lovely Greek scenery. It all looks beautiful. I noticed they were raining. They, they were shooting <laughs> at night because it looks lovely with the twinkly lights. I don't know if you noticed a gale was blowing throughout the. I mean, yeah. I've never seen the wind blow so hard, and and they were all dressed as if it was a hot summer's day. But if you looked under their chairs in the wider shots, they had blankets under their chairs, and I. The minute somebody said cut, they wrapped themselves in blankets. I think it was probably miserable that (laughs) evening when they were filming what's in the first episode. But nevertheless, it delivers you scenery, singing, hope and dreams and disappointments and ABBA songs. So I'm trying to put the point that I agree with your criticisms about it. But I reckon there may be an audience out there who's saying I absolutely love this. I think it's a really interesting point that you said that when in the previous iterations, any dream will do, I'd do anything, the Sound of Music one. They were new productions going into the West End. So there was real skin in the mm. game in terms of what that casting meant. Whereas with this one, this is the it's a, it's a sold out, solid show that has been running for so long. So or maybe slightly less sold out now, which is why they've done it. Maybe, yeah, I suppose that's, that's well, it. But it does feel slightly less jeopardy. But I quite like that we're seeing all good singers. From my point of view, I, my favourite bits of Strictly are the dancers who are already good, who <laughs> already quite good. Everyone moans about the dancers on Strictly to celebrities who can already dance, and they're the ones I want to watch. I just like watching good dancing and good singing, which I suppose isn't the point, but I quite like that they've already whittled it down. And jump to a slightly different genre, the X Factor or Pop Idol. One of the things that people loved was seeing people who couldn't sing at all being mercilessly mocked by the judges. Yeah, which I hate. And maybe this is the way the world has changed. We're not comfortable to see humiliation on television anymore. I think you're absolutely right that the world has changed in the values in entertainment and what they're willing to put out. But as a performer, watching... I, I do agree. I think they were all very high-quality performances in this show. But there were comments... Like just for variety, so that the judges didn't say about every single one that was absolutely brilliant. That yeah. was absolutely brilliant. There were comments like, like you say, Marilyn, without being humiliating, 
there were constructive criticism or simply like really interesting comments about different ways you could do things. You want to learn, don't you? I mean, if you're not going to be mean, then you want to learn. You know, that's the yeah. Thing. But they didn't say they didn't really say any of those things. So then you're like, well, what are the judges for then? Like that section of the show is a bit pointless. As you say that, you remind me of a show that played earlier in the year that you may have seen. Rachel called the piano. Yes, I did. And the piano was a big hit. This is uh, I think on Channel sweet. Four. And it was those people in public places playing the piano, and with, they had judges. One of whom was Lang Lang, one of the greatest piano players in the yeah, world. Yeah, and Mika. He never and Mika. They never talked about the piano playing. They never. In other words, they never got technical. Whereas on Strictly Come Dancing, they say, "Well, the problem is your your, your left arm is dangling when it ought to be waving or something," and you learn a bit how to dance yeah. a tango or whatever in the way the judges talk about it. A lot of these other shows are so shy of that, yeah. of allowing you into the technical. And, and I think I'd like to see more of that. Yes. I'm judging the judges now. I'd like to see more of that from the judges in Mamma Mia. Yeah, I agree. You're not going to get it from Alan Carr, by the way. You're going to get it from <laughs> the other three. Do you know, I'd quite like to have seen Judy Kramer judge them a bit. But that's clearly a decision that Judy Kramer, who's the woman who produced and created Mamma Mia, and has, that's been her almost her life's work, as it were, and hats off to her for that. But it's clearly a deliberate decision that she isn't one of the judges, but comes in as a sort of presence halfway yeah, yeah, through. Yeah, no, I'm sure. But I'm just saying I would have liked someone who felt qualified to actually do exactly what you were just talking about, which was constructive criticism or, yeah, yeah, yeah. constructive, you know, talent building, uh, yeah. if you want to call it that. Um, but I think we're probably done with Mamma Mia now, are we? Done with ABBA, maybe a, a break well, you, There ABBA? are so many iterations. There's the musical, the, the Mamma Mia, the party. I saw an advert for that on the tube oh, the other day. stop it. That's another <laughs> thing. Rachel, how great is your ABBA appetite? Uh, I really like the songs, but... Uh, well, for one thing, my husband hates ABBA, uh, so that's not helpful. <laughs> I can't endlessly play it in the house. Personally, I've watched an episode. Yeah, whatever. I'm sure someone will like it, but it's not me. For me, I will watch it again. I will follow the series, but I'll fast forward the fluff, the screaming, the un unnecessary fluff. But I'll, I'd like to follow the singing. Mamma Mia, I Have a Dream is on Sundays at 6pm on ITV and you can catch up on the first episode now on ITVX. And that's, I think, all we've got for you this week. So we ought to be saying thank you to our wonderful guest, Rachel Paris. Thank you so much for coming along, Rachel. Thanks for having me. Lovely to lovely to have a judge. We were just moaning about the judges not judging enough and we did it for them. Have we been too nice? Well, I, I certainly I haven't. I certainly don't think so. <laughs> Rachel, you've been an amazing guest. So thanks so much. Thank you very much for having me. Really enjoyed it. And we're particularly keen to hear from you, our listeners, about what you've been watching, what you've hated, what you've loved, and what are we missing or getting wrong. So do send us an email. You can get in touch via our socials. You can WhatsApp us. All the info is in the description. So many ways to get in touch these days. There's not a single excuse <laughs> left. So please get in touch. And also, perhaps just as importantly, join us next week when we'll be chatting about Netflix's TV adaptation of the Pulitzer Prize-winning novel All the Light We Cannot See, starring the brilliant Mark Ruffalo and the also brilliant Hugh Laurie but will we still be saying that next week you'll have to well we'll be getting preview copies from Netflix this is the other issue <laughs> good lord <laughs> yes. you, you guys are definitely whoops. on the blacklist whoops. now <laughs> whoops whoops but thank you for listening the jeopardy is extreme uh, see you next Thursday <laughs> if we get to look at any screeners thank you Rachel thank you Rachel
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.